thank you for that special grace to grace. Well, let's do what we want to, uh, to spend some time in and go to Haggai. Let's go to Haggai chapter 2. Appreciate all of our musicians using their gifts and talents for the Lord's glory to minister to our hearts, to prepare them, uh, to prepare our hearts for the Word of God. And so let's dig in. Now, we're going to go to Haggai 2. We are picking up where we left off last week. If you uh, missed last week, we launched a series, Renewing the Rebuilding. Let me give you a quick rundown of what's going on with the people there in Jerusalem, just so that you're not totally lost. There's a group of people who have returned from the Babylonian exile. They've got to Jerusalem, and they're going to rebuild the temple. They are thrilled and excited with great anticipation of bringing back the temple, renewing it back to the glory days. They begin the project, but they face opposition, and they face a ton of obstacles, and they give up two years into the project, and they go concentrate on their own homes and their own projects and their own lives. What this brought was a spiritual complacency. It really brought a spiritual laziness to them, and they began to drift away from what God had set out from the very beginning for them to do. So within all of that, God sends two messengers, two prophets, Haggai, Zechariah. Haggai comes onto the scene here in Haggai chapter 1. It's been 14 years since they threw down the last hammer and nails. So it's been 16 years since they've returned from exile. And Haggai comes with a very important message straight from God. And that's what we saw in chapter number 1. The Really the thought and theme of chapter 1 is, do you really care? Is it that you are just so involved in your own personal lives and in your own world that you let the house of God lie in ruin? And so that was the theme and thought for Haggai chapter 1. Now we move into chapter number 2, and Haggai is going to spark into them again something to consider. He's going to bring yet a new message from God himself that is going to be very important for them to listen to. It, a month has passed. No doubt during that month they have removed a lot of the, the rubble as they're renewing the rebuilding. They're excited about the message that Haggai has given them. They are refocused, recharged, and they're going at it again. So they've removed all the rubble. They've kind of tested some of the old existing walls to see if they're pretty safe and secure. Uh, they've begun some of the design work. They've divided the groups into different working teams. And you would think that in all of this, in their organization and moving forward, that everything in J-Town is moving in the right direction. Woohoo! celebration time. But something bad's happening. Well... In chapter number two, we find that in the seventh month, in the one and twentieth day of the month, came the word of the Lord by the prophet Haggai, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, speak to Joshua, and the high, who's the high priest, and to the residue of the people, saying, Who is left among you that saw this house in her first glory? It's been 66 years since Solomon's temple was destroyed. And so Haggai is talking to guys that have seen the old Solomon's temple, the old glory days of what Solomon had built for the Lord. And so he says, uh, when you saw it in its first glory, and how do you see it now? Is it not in your eyes in comparison of it as nothing? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, saith the Lord, and be strong, O Joshua, the high priest, and be strong, all ye people of the land, saith the Lord, and the work, for I am with you, saith the Lord of hosts. According to the word that I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, so my spirit remaineth among you, fear ye not. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, yet once it is a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come, and I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, 
and the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former, saith the Lord of hosts. And in this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. This morning, I want us to look for just a little bit in this passage of Scripture, looking at shattered expectations, shattered expectations. Father, guide us now through this text. We don't want to hurry and rush through very key parts that are, that are for us today to apply to our everyday life. But Lord, we also we want to make sure that we deliver clearly from you what you have for us. And so lead us in these moments together in Jesus' name. Amen. Progress has been delayed on the rebuilding of the temple. It's been delayed yet again. Why? Well, as the text tells us, it's the seventh month, seventh month in one and twentieth day, the twenty-first day of the seventh month. What happens in the seventh month is it's the month of all of the feasts. It's the time to take time off. They could not labor. They could not work of while this was happening. What happens at the very beginning of the month is the Feast of the Trumpets. And then on the 10th day of the month is the Day of Atonement. They also have the Sabbath days within the month that they have to take off and they cannot work. So then on the 15th day of the month, the Feast of Booths, or what we know as the Feast of Tabernacles, begins. That's when all of the population moves out of their homes to live in these leafy tents and huts so that they can reenact what happened with their fathers in the Exodus wanderings. And so this is all taking place, wonderful memorial celebrations, but it takes them away from the work. So when we come on the scene with Haggai in verse number one, we find that it's the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles. They've had a lot of time off, a lot of time away, and they have easily become distracted. But you know what's amazing by the distraction is that we see right away that it was the discouragement of comparison that distracted them. Verses 1 through 3, the discouragement inevitably snuck in, distracted them from the main task. You know, that seems to happen in so many areas of our lives, doesn't it? Discouragement sneaks in, it derails us, it distracts us, and it, it comes in a variety of ways. In the 12-month process that we have made our commitments to give, we were charged and excited to launch the pursuit until something potentially in our life derailed our excitement. Maybe it was you didn't like the floor plan selection, the color scheme, or the toilet choices. There are a lot of variety of things that maybe derailed you, but even apart from what's happening on property, there's just real life matters that derail us sometimes. Maybe your discouragement comes in ways that bills are arriving in your mailbox that were unexpected. Or maybe it's a loss of hours at the workplace. Maybe a raise that didn't come that you were anticipating. Or how about the kids had to get braces this year? Whew, that's coming one day, I think. There's the washer and dryer broke on the same day. Or maybe there's a medical emergency that happened in your home. Some things that just derail us in life. And discouragement can really distract us, especially when we begin to compare. Verse number three, Haggai is reminding them to not compare from the glory days of old to what is being accomplished today and allowing that comparison to easily derail and discourage them. So comparing to other people's livelihoods, we do. Sometimes we look at their successes, their life, their career. We look at their situation. We begin to compare and comparison always leads to distraction unless you pick somebody weaker to compare to so that you can feel better. You ever found that to be happening in people's lives? They find somebody that they can slander, knock down, or talk bad about, or they can compare themselves to because they feel a lot better about who they are when they compare. As a young pastor, 
the trap is really honestly constantly there in comparison. That's why two of my accountability partners always keep me in check in this area of comparison. It's easy as a young pastor to compare to other ministries or other pastors or, or other lives or what people are accomplishing and, and to see what's going on. And, and really, it can be very distracting to what God is trying to do. This week, I found a prayer from A.W. Tozer. I'm printing it out. I'm putting it on my desk. It's going to be in my Bible. It's something to reference to. If you battle with the area of comparison that leads you quickly to distractions and discouragements, listen to this prayer that A.W. Tozier gave. He said, Dear Lord, I refuse henceforth to compete with any of thy servants. They have congregations larger than mine, so be it. I rejoice in their success. They have greater gifts, very well. That is not in their power nor in mine. I am humbly grateful for their greater gifts and my smaller ones. I only pray that I may use to thy glory such modest gifts as I possess. I will not compare myself with any, nor try to build up my self-esteem by noting where I may excel one or another in thy holy work. If you want to look that up with A.W. Tozier, there's actually five, six more sentences in that prayer that are very, very powerful. But the people in chapter number two, verse three, they were falling into this trap of comparison and it built up a level of discouragement that took them away from the work. And so Haggai spoke this message to remind them to keep their eyes not in the comparisons, but on the task before them. If the project's going slower, it's okay. God's in it. If it's not developing as you thought it would be, that's okay. God is in it. And so we say here that in the various places and times of our life, it's easy always to look back and say it was always so much better. It's easy to say back in the glory days of the local church, things were done so much differently and so much better. We always want to reference the glory days and forget what God is doing in the today and how he wants to use us with the mission to move forward with the power of the gospel message. Now, here at Parkway Baptist Church, we, we certainly have never separated ourselves from the heritage and legacy that has been laid for the ministry here at Lakeland Highlands Road. We have never shied away from that. We are even using this expansion not as a dismissal of the former days, but rather building on what God has already done and what He continues to do here in His church. And so we make more space to be able to reach the needs of more people. We need parking and traffic flow. We need connection space and a lobby. We need a welcoming environment, and we need clean restrooms. So God is going to speak through Haggai with this very important message of don't become discouraged with comparison. But he continues now with some promises. And look at verse number four, because we see the confidence of God is on our side. This confidence that we have knowing that he never leaves us nor forsakes us. And God is going to use Haggai to remind them that says, For I am with you, saith the Lord of hosts. This promise that God makes is not only very reassuring, but he's reiterating something he's already said in chapter 1, verse 13. He says, I am with you. Sometimes we're a little bit hard-headed too, aren't we? We've got to have the reminder of God, the reminder of the Holy Spirit, the prodding, the pushing, the pulling that says, let's be bold. Let's take steps of faith. Let's make this happen. Let's really have faith over fear. I've always provided. I've always taken care of. I've never failed you before. Let's move forward. Sometimes we need God to repeat himself. Sometimes we need a reassurance. I'm thankful for how patient God was with a man by the name of Gideon. And he's still saying patient with us. 
and that he pushes us and prods us to move us forward to say, I am with you. But then notice also he says to Zerubbabel and to Joshua and all the people, be strong. Now, during the Feast of the Tabernacles, which, again, we've come right at the end of it. The Feast of Tabernacles is over. They can go back to their houses. They're leaving their leafy huts and pretending like they're wandering in the wilderness, all in memorial to what their fathers had done in years before. Now they're going back to their houses, and he says, be strong. They're coming off of a week where they had the book of Deuteronomy read to them. And they would have read in Deuteronomy as they would have heard it being given to them how Moses had told Joshua three times, to be strong. How he had told the people, be strong. Moses is going to fade off in the scene. He knows he's not a part of the new brand that's going into the promised land, and yet he reminds them, in all of this, you're going to find obstacles, you're going to find distractions, and you're going to want to run and flee. He says, but in all of that, be strong. The Israelites would have remembered how God told Joshua in Joshua chapter 1, be strong, be strong, be strong, three different times. They would have known also of how King David would have charged Solomon in the building of the temple for the first time in 1 Chronicles 22, be strong, my son, be strong, my son, be strong, my son, three different times. So this phrase, be strong, means to have the ability to accomplish what is intended. It's not some empty phrase that they will use. It's not just some catchphrase to put on a t-shirt, be strong. It's not a bracelet they'll wear. It's not on the, on the heel of their holy sandals, be strong. It's simply something very meaningful to them in their godly heritage, in their, in their history, this phrase of be strong. What a wonderful charge it is to the people today for us to be strong, to be confident because God is on our side. Remember what that phrase means? Have the ability to accomplish what is intended, implying an element of resolve that is needed. So it's time to give up. It's not time to throw our hands in. It's not time to give ear to the critics. It's not time to bury our head in the sand. It's time to stand and be strong. It's time to continue to rise up and build. It is time to continue to renew the rebuilding. It is time to say, God, how will you use me to make an impact? Now, this type of confidence leads us to boldly take steps of faith. As Christians, we're reminded in Romans chapter, chapter 8 that as followers of Jesus Christ, well, let me just read the text, Romans chapter 8, verse 30. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them also he justified. And whom he justified, he also glorified, or will glorify one day. What shall we then say to these things? So we in here who have given ourselves to following Jesus Christ wholeheartedly and passionately, we, we conclude that we are a child of God. We've been predestinated, we've been called, we've been justified, we will be glorified. And he says, what shall we say to these things? Then he says, if God be for us, who can be against us? Have you ever grabbed a hold of that promise? That again is not just some catchy phrase. Wrap it up in the context of who it refers to. If God is for us, who can be against us? Therefore, I have nothing short of being strong. I can do nothing short of taking steps of faith. I can do nothing short of following after God's prompting and leading in my life. Number three, verses five through seven. The next promise comes with the assurance of God's promises as a whole. 
the assurance of these promises says that there is something greater to come and that what we are doing today is not the end all. Now notice in verse 5, he says, According to the word that I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, your ancestors came out of Egypt, I made a promise and a covenant, so my spirit remaineth among you, fear ye not. Now in the Old Testament covenant, the Holy Spirit would have been among the people under the New Testament law, or excuse me, the New Testament covenant, we would find that the Holy Spirit is within us. Now, we know that that Holy Spirit living within us is what gives us power. Jesus promised to his disciples, you will receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And so when we got saved, the Holy Spirit camped out and and took ownership of our bodies and in our life, and that Holy Spirit empowers us. And so we have no reason to fear. The Israelites were being reminded here that the Holy Spirit among them, God says, fear not, meaning dread not. Often when we hear fear, we think of the trembling of of what's going to happen next, of what bad thing is going to happen in my life. What am I going to face tomorrow? What heartache will I have to, to carry this week? That's not the fear. The fear not is to not dread. This word dread, we know what dread means. We know how there's a lot of things. Some of you are dreading going to school this week. There are some of you, hey, that's just the reality of your life. Some of you, parents are dreading having to get up early to get those kids to school this week. Some of you are dreading uh, work. Some of you are dreading a, a conflict that has to be resolved. Some of you are dreading a meeting. There are things in our life that we dread, but he says, don't dread it. He says, because the Holy Spirit has empowered you, living within you. And then he says, there's something greater to see. The people's unfavorable comparison of the restored temple of Solomon's day, verse number three, was counteracted by God's assurance of ultimate success because of the future glory of the millennial temple to come. So the prophet is going to give us some context of something to look forward to the future, which says, even to these people building the temple... That the proclamation about a coming glory was given to encourage present success. By the way, we'll always keep coming back to why are we doing this? It's so that it can be used to make an impact with the gospel today, which will make an impact in a life for all eternity. Because there is coming a day when life here on earth is over. Will the new bathrooms last forever? No, they won't. Will the new lobby last forever? No, they won't. Will the office building last forever? Will the parking lot last forever? No, they have to be maintained, and one day they'll burn up, they'll be done. It'll be over. But it's all to reference this coming millennial temple, something that is even greater, where the glory of God will fill it, where God's blessing will be seen. Now, So as we don't get complex in these verses here and wrapped up because of time, there's so much that I want to bring out. But the building that we sit in, It's not going to last forever, but you know what will last forever is the temples we have, where the the Bible tells us, know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, ye are not your own. Now we know that these bodies will crumble, they will burn up, but then at the rapture, the ashes in the body, the dust of the earth will come, will be given a new body and a new, uh, be made new in Jesus Christ. But boy, it's so important to pause here for just a moment to understand that if there's never been a time in your life where you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone, that there could come a day when your time on earth is over and your eternal 
condition is damnation and hell. The reality is, as Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And there's a lot of good moral people out there in this world. You work with them. You live next to them. Or maybe even you have a, a, a relationship or, or, or in a family with them. There are a lot of good moral people. But if they've never accepted the free gift of salvation and received him as their very own, they're lost and without hope. You know, too many people respond to the rescuer of Jesus Christ with a stiff arm that says, I don't believe you're really the rescuer, or I really don't need you. On a constant basis, we'll hear ambulances, fire trucks from the station down the road blazing by us, or they'll pull into the property next door. And when the ambulance arrives, the EMT gets out and he gets his gear out. If the patient is lying there in desperate need, the patient doesn't look up and stiff arm and say, no, I, I don't need you because I really don't believe in your credentials. I don't believe you say who you are and I don't believe that you're necessary or that I need you. Or some would say, well, it's okay, send somebody else because I remember when I was a kid, I used to play EMT as a little boy. We used to pretend like we were in a fire truck or, a, or an ambulance. And so I, I think I'm okay, I can fix myself. We know that's not the response. We know that's not how it, it ends up. But you know, that's what happens with Jesus when the offer of rescue is given to mankind. They say, no thanks, I'm following the religion of my grandpa and his dad. Or, no thanks, I've got this on my own. I'm healthy, I'm smart, I don't need any help. Or, no thanks, I've, I've got my own supplies uh, for my life. I'm trusting in my wealth, I'm trusting in my knowledge, I'm trusting in what I've seen. But the Bible cannot be denied as the absolute truth that says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that there is none righteous, no, not one. So the Old Testament says that help is on the way. Help is coming. Hope will arrive. The New Testament says help has arrived and hope is here. And today we look back and say hope has happened and hope wants to give me that eternal hope as well. And so here John, or excuse me, uh, Romans 5 reminds us that God commendeth, extended, showed, demonstrated his love toward us as mankind, that while we were yet sinners, while we were living in our sins, Jesus Christ was dying for our sins, died for us. Now the wages and payment of our sin is death, and so somebody had to die, and Jesus did in our place. But here's the best part of it, is that if we will confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in our heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved." For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And church, so then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And all of us today have heard clearly from the word of God that that faith comes from hearing it and trusting and believing in it. For by grace are ye saved through faith. Nothing else, not your good works, Nothing that you do, nothing that you've accomplished, not your heritage, not your family tree, not your morality, and not your goodness. But it says, by faith and grace are ye saved. And so today, you can have that blessed promise. Number four, the last thought in verses eight and nine, is the encouragement of God's provision. So God concludes this first section with Haggai in verses one through nine, with Haggai speaking great assurance that in spite of the bad economy, 
And in spite of their lack of wealth, God was able to provide for all they needed. Now Solomon did it amazingly some 600 years or, or, or 500 years earlier. And Solomon was the king and he was able to pull in the best of the best. He called in the best contractors and builders and architects and, and uh, build, brought, brought in all of the designers to make this thing happen. He got all of the best materials. And here the Israelites are now trying to rebuild. They're, they're taking some of the rock and, and dusting it off, hoping that they can, they can keep this one in order to continue to build. They're, they're testing the sturdiness of the walls. They're, they're trying to sweep away to make an area a path clear. They're doing the best that they can within their economy and within their own wealth to accomplish this. And that's when God comes on the scene and he says, all the silver is mine, all the gold is mine. And he gives this reassurance that says, we're going to rebuild this and we're going to take care of this. Remember, we cannot outgive God. We give him our time. He always rewards. 35 people showed up yesterday for a, an outreach car wash, giving of some time. And, uh, and God rewards that. We had a, a half a dozen, maybe eight to 10 people invested in leading connection classes this morning. They've invested their time and their knowledge and their abilities. We have people that in this service right now are holding crying babies, changing dirty diapers, wiping snotty noses, and trying to keep two and three-year-olds from crashing the party. They're keeping children down in the cafeteria with a children's church program. There are people who are watching the parking lot for security. There are people with smiles greeting us, people who are helping in all that. That is giving of our time and our energy for the Lord's work. God rewards that. But there's also the giving of our abilities, our talents. Where has God shaped you? How has he formed you for his work? Discover that and plug in. And then he always, we always know that he blesses the giving of our treasure, of our finances. Our prayer through any of this is always, God, how will you give through me? It's not saying that I have to go sell my vehicle in order to put a check in the offering plate next week. Now, if that's how God leads you, you do that. But that's, that's between you and God. I'm not telling you to skip the drive through this week to pass up a nice cup of coffee on your way to work this morning or in the morning. I'm not asking you to pass the, the uh, Coke machine and not get you a cold 20-ounce Coca-Cola because that $1.50 can go in the offering plate. That's not the message today. The message is that we all collectively, collectively together begin to pray, God, how will you give through me? And you know what happens is all of a sudden our electric bill shows up in the mail and it's $30 less than we anticipated. And we walk into the manager's office and he says, I need somebody on Saturday to work an extra six hours. You up for it? It means that somehow a little bit of a bonus shows up or an extra something comes our way. Or that somebody gives a phone call and says, hey, I want to treat you to lunch today instead of you having to buy it. There's a lot of different ways that God begins to show himself so real in giving through us when we simply open ourselves to that. That's what God was doing with the people in Jerusalem. Now look how he finishes this text and we'll wrap it up. He says the glory in verse 9, the glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former saith the Lord of hosts. What great confidence for the people. He says, then I will give peace. In this place, I will bless. I will give peace. Warren Wearsby said it. He said, it's better to fail in an endeavor that you know will ultimately succeed than to succeed in an endeavor you know will ultimately fail. 
this finished temple task would not last forever. But there will one day be a glorious temple that nobody can destroy or defile. Knowing this, the discouraged remnant of people in Jerusalem could take courage and they could finish their work even through shattered expectations. So may we learn from the example of how to endure. How to endure through the distracting elements of discouragement and see and persevere toward the blessed promises of God. How will you handle shattered expectations? May we do the same, looking past the discouragement of comparison and move forward in the promises of God. Father, thank you this morning. Clear text that we can walk through, be guided in, and to learn from. Lord, I don't know how you want to use this to shape us today, but I would pray that you would bring it to a point of application in our own hearts. I will not take the next five minutes to shape into form what the application is in everybody's life, but I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to do that right now.